Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know the drill. Good optics are a must, whether you're running a red dot sight on your turkey gun or you're running some binos this turkey season, or if you're shopping for a new rifle scope. Vortex Optics needs to be the first place you look. They got something for everybody, whether you're wanting to get some entry-level glass or if you're wanting top-of-the-line glass and really good stuff, they got that too. They also have an unbeatable VIP warranty. If something happens to your Vortex Optic, you can send it in. They will fix it or replace it. Best warranty in the business, bar none. Head on over to MidwayUSA.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on your order of any Vortex product. Again, that's MidwayUSA.com. Go use that promo code SOUTHERN. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the show. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website MeadowCreekMounts.com and use the code SOUTHERN at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Now I'm a southern child. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. Again, it's Jacob here. Got Andrew Maxwell sitting next to me, ready to go. And uh, we got a really cool episode for y'all this week. Uh, We've got a listener on the line right now, uh, Taylor Philpot. Uh, from Alabama, who had some awesome success uh, not too terribly long ago on a this a, a real big deer, and uh, and uh, his story is really interesting. Giant deer. Oh yeah, giant deer. Let's be honest here. And uh, just you know, we're gonna kind of break down everything that he's kind of uh, just listened to over the podcast over the last year or so. Uh, but Taylor, how are you doing right now, man? And uh, again, kind of how was your trip back from uh, Virginia? Man, I am doing good. I wanted to start by just saying thank you. Uh, for having me on, I'm super honored to to be on the show. Super thankful for you know you, Jacob, and you, Andrew, just for doing this podcast. I know that it has been a total game changer in my world of hunting, and so many other guys. There's so many, you know, there's so much good info on guys that hunt out in the Midwest, up north, but there's very little content that's valuable for the the southeastern hunter, uh, especially in Alabama. So I wanted to start by just saying thank you to y'all. And then of course I couldn't have had the success I had if it wasn't for the property owners that let me come and hunt. So I want to give a shout out to both Robbie and Frankie Swan for letting me come out. And then also to um, my wife for letting me go hunt. (laughs) She, uh, she holds down the fort with three kids all the time while I'm out in the woods and I'm super thankful for her. Man, that that sounds like that's a blessing right there. And uh, they kind of kick us off Taylor. Uh, I want to ask, you know, how long have you been a listener of the show? And, um, you know, once you answer that also, what are a couple episodes that's kind of hit home for you, uh, since you've been listening? Yeah. So I was thinking back and, uh, trying to figure out when was like the first episode that I listened to. And, uh, my good friend that I hunt with a good bit, um, Bobby McLeod sent me, um, a link and he's like, dude, check out this podcast. It is absolute gold. And it was back in July. I went back and looked July of 2019 and it was, um, the late Glenn Solomon, super thankful for that man. Um, you know, I pray my prayers to his family cause I know he passed away not long after that episode, but, um, I was like, man, this is what I have been looking for. This is the content I need to dive into to learn more about. 
Well, awesome. And so you, you started out with Glenn Solomon's episode, which is episode 116, which is, you know, of all the episodes that we recommend for people to listen to, normally it's, you know, episode 116 with Glenn Solomon and episode 141 with Josh Driver. And Glenn impacted a lot of people's lives with that episode. That was one of the first time people, you know, outside of, you know, kind of his region of Georgia really kind of heard his perspective. And it, it you know, it really was kind of quote unquote game changing for a lot of people. And it impacted a lot of people's lives. So I'm glad that that was, you know, possibly one of the first episodes or was the first episode that you listened to. And I like, you know, a lot of other people, same thing for them as well. But uh, when you first started listening to the episode, let me ask, uh, or listen to the podcast, were you already someone that listened to podcasts at that time? Or is that something that kind of got you into starting to listen to shows? Yeah, so I um, I had listened to a lot of leadership podcasts, um, being in leadership in the Air Force and in the ministry world for quite some time. Um, I had listened to a lot of leadership podcasts, but that was it. And I was like, there's such thing as a hunting podcast. And um, I'd say my leadership skills probably started to drop and my hunting skills started to go up about that time. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I'm, uh, it's such, it's so cool to think, you know, obviously Glenn is in heaven now and um, we all have that to look forward to, but it's cool to know that he, for his family, especially to know he left a, a legacy that's going to impact a lot of people's life to spend more time in the outdoors and encounter God in a new way too. Yeah, and that's absolutely the way I kind of look at a lot of these guys, especially some of these older gentlemen that we have on the show. Is <clears throat> it's a way that's a kind of a lasting legacy, at least of you know, you know, the one thing in life that they really enjoy doing, which is hunting, <clears throat> a lasting legacy, you know, in an audio form that they can leave with us and the listeners for you know, hopefully you know, forever. Um, and I, I definitely feel Glenn was definitely that kind of guy. You know, always recommend listening to his show just because of his perspectives of hunting, you know, thick cover in the southeast is just fascinating. Kind of the success that he was able to have along with his buddies, um, you know, has been, you know, just uh, immense. Um, but, Taylor, to kind of kick us off, one thing I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, you started listening uh, to that podcast from Glenn Solomon's episode. But what are some of the episodes that, you know, kind of hit home the most for you? Some of the episodes that you might have got the most out of? Um, and, you know, kind of how did that kind of affect the way that you hunt, uh, you know, to this day? Yeah, so um, obviously that was episode 116 and you're over 200 now. And I've listened to just about every podcast. And I was trying to think back and narrow it down to, a few, and I guess some some highlights. Uh, some ones are um, Troy Pottinger, his scrape hunting masterclass one. That was episode one seventy five. That was really good. I actually was hunting over scrapes um, when I got on the deer that I harvested here recently. And then um, Jamie McKay hunting buck trails. Um, that's episode one ninety three. And then um, early season mature bucks and old school hunting with Tony Myers, episode 191. And then uh, the everybody that has been listening to the podcast knows episode 188 with Tim Knight about dropping the antlers down the tree with a string and doing a rattle sequence on the ground while you're wrestling in the leaves with the antlers and all of that. Um, that actually helped me. Um, as a part of my success in this story, but I think really getting me in the mindset going into 2020 season, um, I listened to it literally the day I was headed up, um, to start the bow season was episode 194 with Andre DeQuisto. Obviously his phrase in Lone Wolf is hunt like a wolf. And that just really got me in the mindset of visualizing my hunts, staking through every inch, every single detail, to get me to what I, the ultimate goal of harvesting a big mature deer. And, you know, I've gotten, after listening to this podcast, you know, going into the 2019 season, it was, it's been crazy how I've, you know, a hundred inch to 130 inch deer. I've been able to get, I'm talking within feet of, I mean, numerous times I've seen more deer, more bucks in 2019 and even 2020 season thus far than I've ever seen you know, the, the years leading up to it because of the information I've learned in the podcast. Well, and, you know, let's talk, I want to kind of break down, um, just cause of your journey, you know, listen to the show and everything else, you know, just being over, you know, just coming up to a year and a half now. Um, when you first started listening to the show back in 2019, uh, you know, did you implement anything that you had kind of maybe listened to and heard from on the show from any of the guests uh, during the 2019 season that you're like, Oh man, this actually, you know, I can, I can see myself using this to having success. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I grew up, uh, my uncle took me hunting, you know, here and there growing up as a kid, we sat in shooting houses on the green fields, you know, shooting sometimes 50 yard shots or sometimes 200 yard shots, but in a shooting house, don't have to really worry about your scent too much. So as I grew up and started hunting on my own and was just trying to figure things out, um, the biggest thing that I didn't even really know about, I knew deer could smell good, but mostly I just thought vision and hearing and I never really played the wind or, you know, did any kind of scent control whatsoever. So that was really like a light bulb that went off in my head. Like, man, I felt like a dummy because I had never thought about that before. So the instant that I changed that, tried to walk in with the wind in my face and sitting, you know, where my, where the the thermals are rising or going down in the bottom in the evening, like just all those things um, with the wind was probably the, the number one thing that changed my hunting game um, after starting to listen to the show. So you kind of implemented all that throughout last season. Now, you know, with the episodes that we had mentioned, um, you know, that were kind of impactful from you, from like Troy Pottinger to Tony Myers to Jamie McKay, Glenn Solomon, and, and Andre DeQuisto, you know, what were some of the things that you had listened to some of these guys that, you know, you could relate with, uh, both being down here in Alabama, but also, uh, which we'll talk about, uh, some of the property that you have access to up in Virginia. You know, what were some of the things that you had listened to? Like, okay, I can implement this and actually apply it to where I hunt and I can start seeing success. So for me, I had always kind of gotten an idea of all the ingredients that went in to, to killing a mature buck. So I think it was 2018, the season before I found the podcast, um, it was just by happenstance, I killed 150 inch deer and I'm like, dude, this is awesome. This is all I want to kill from now on. And then I found the podcast between that season and the next and was like, wow, it's really hard to kill 150 inch deer. And, um, so for me, when I was going through and listening to all these podcasts, it's like all the ingredients were there. I just didn't put it all together to get the end result that I wanted. So for me, the wind was a big thing. Um, I think most recently, um, learning about Tim Knight lowering the antlers down, you know, I rattled myself to death in a tree and hardly ever seen any deer and not knowing the right times to do it or the right situation to do it up against bedding. He really talked about doing it either in bedding or up against bedding, like late in the evening, once the sun goes b- below the trees, kind of in that gray light kind of time frame. Um, that was really good for me to learn about. And then, you know, hunting buck trails, extreme Southern deer hunting from both Jamie McKay and Glenn Solomon. Um, those guys just really learning how to key in and get right up either in the bedding area or right up there close to it. And I've always thought, man, how crazy would it be that I sat in a bedding area and only had a shot that was maybe seven or eight yards on one single deer trail when I could sit way out in the open and have, you know, a hundred different shots to choose from. Why would I sit so close? Well, come to find out that's where all the big bucks are because they're only (laughs) traveling in daylight where you have a seven or eight yard shot because they never expect you to be there. So it's, uh, it's been really cool to take those things and implement them and then realize that, no, I'm not, sometimes I'm not seeing as many deer, but I'm seeing bucks almost every time. And if not my target buck, um, probably a a way higher percentage than I was before. You know, I might see a target buck one time a season. And if I'm lucky, I get a shot on him where now I'm seeing a target buck, um, multiple times a season and really just keying in where I can get on that specific shot that I need to take. And I try to mostly bow hunt. So if I was, if I was muzzleloader hunting or if I was rifle hunting, you know, majority of the season, I would probably be harvesting these target bucks, but I really enjoy bow hunting, getting up close in their bedroom. And, uh, I feel more like a, a sportsman doing that, I guess. <laughs> well, and then I get, and then I get fed up and then I go and get my rifle and I shoot him. So, well, <laughs> I want to get into uh, into this buck that you shot. So, you, I mean, you mentioned like a whole bunch of episodes there and, and a lot of different tactics that, that went into the hunt and everything. But, I mean, where did the story of this buck kind of start? Did, did you know about him for a long time or, or did you go out there and kind of, you know, happen into him or whatever? 
Yeah, so me and this buck have a history. Um, he is actually going into this season, the season before, and even the one before that. He's been our, our number two target buck every year. We had a, a number one target buck that was a ghost, and then we had this number two target buck that was a ghost until last season. And then during muzzleloader last last year, it's my first year to muzzleloader hunt, um, I left everything in the gun from the evening hunt to the morning hunt. And then I got back where I knew he was at, right in his bedroom. And I hit the grunt call. With, I did a I did a, a doe bleat with a tendon grunt. And he ran off the ridge to me like a freight train and came down to 12 yards. And it was the day I switched from my bow to my muzzle loader. And it was like the day or two after. And when I went to pull the trigger, the gun didn't go boom. I had let moisture build up in the gun. And I didn't know that was a thing with muzzle loaders. So, um, the bullet did come out at a very low velocity. It, it clipped the deer, wounded him, whatever. We found a little bit of blood, but we knew after getting a dog out that he was definitely still alive. So he was a giant eight point last season. And, um, I did have an opportunity to shoot him and that happened. So there's a lot of history. I'm talking like sick in the pit of my stomach, like want to throw up feeling from having that happen last year. Um, but obviously super pumped to get a mess massive monster 10 point this year and it'd be the same deer that i uh, you know made the mistake on last year so i want to talk about uh you know this this property that you, that you have access to up in virginia um that uh you've been hunting for quite some time now when it comes to the, the i want to kind of go over the habitat i want to kind of like lay out the groundwork of kind of what are you kind of working with up there what kind of what kind of habitat or you know is this area you know is this a lot of kind of old growth you know hardwoods you know is there a lot of like you know cutovers thickets you know what's the kind of the the habitat for this property so um to paint a picture for everybody um up near the road edges it's um ag fields so usually soybean corn so the deer have you know a buffet of whatever they want to eat so obviously they can get a little bit healthier similar to the black belt in alabama you're going to find properties but um it's flat on the fields but it's rolling hills very similar to alabama and the woods so that's something that i was used to so you have big woods you have uh oak trees dropping acorns in bow season like like crazy so it's almost impossible to pinpoint the deer it fills. And then there's pine thickets for planted plant, planted pines on there. And then at the back of the property, it's just swampland. And I'm talking like you, you step in it and you think it's going to be ankle deep and it goes up to like your thigh or your waist. And so it's a, it's a pretty good, it's, a, I mean, it's an excellent property, varying habitat. Um, so for me, the first two seasons was really just learning, okay, where are the deer bedding? Um, on this wind or that wind, you know, what are the, the different situations where I'm seeing deer, I'm not seeing deer. And then um, something that Andre DeQuisto said in his podcast is he's like, I don't care if I'm bumping deer on the way in to get to where I need to do, you know, where I need to get, because if it's not the deer I want to kill that I'm bumping, I don't care. And for me going into this season, that was just kind of my mindset. Like, I don't care if I bump every deer in the world out of there. I'm going after one of these two deer and specifically I was going after my number one target buck. I really, um, was thankful I killed the 10 point, but, um, just to let everybody know that's listening, we had, um, a deer, possibly the biggest deer I'll ever see in my life. He was 180 inch deer on the property. And, uh, that was the one I was going for. And, um, obviously as we get more into the details, I'll share more about that, but, uh, super thankful to get this beast of a buck I got. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about that, the actual hunt. Uh, so you kind of get lay down some groundwork on what the property looks like. Um, you, what, well, let me ask, what has been your past experiences hunting up there? Like what was y'all style of hunting? And then did you change anything over this last year or two uh, from kind of like what you've heard and what you may have learned uh, to come and have a different approach when it comes to hunting the property? Yeah. So for me, I, um, I'm, I'm, I believe I shared earlier if I haven't, but I have predominantly ground hunted. Um, I've had a few ladder stands here or there, um, done some shooting house hunted back when I was younger, but predominantly ground hunted until I found all the lone wolf custom gear, lone wolf 
um, you know, hang and hunt stuff and became, you know, I guess the official mobile hunter now that I can climb up a tree with climbing sticks and a stand. And I run the uh, DeQuisto series, the 0.5 this season with the double step climbing sticks, um, sometimes two sticks, sometimes three with eighters on them. So having that lightweight setup, being a smaller guy, you know, I'm five foot nine, five foot 10 weigh maybe 150 pounds at the start of the season, maybe 165 after I eat Debbie cake sitting in the stand all season. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the end of it, uh, then Thanksgiving and Christmas come and who knows what I weigh, but, um, <laughs> but being a smaller guy, having something that's super lightweight was like the, and, and then I've ground hunted. So I've never had weight on my back. So moving around with weight on my back was new to me. And, um, so that point five was really awesome to have this year and I've got it dialed in, you know, now that we're almost a couple months into the season, but, um, being able to get up in the tree, there's so much value in that. And in certain situations on the ground, there's just no way to keep your scent from getting to the deer where if you're up in the air, you can, you can change that up a little bit. So you kind of got the new perspective of kind of being a little bit more of a mobile hunter. Uh, now, how did you start to kind of apply that, uh, especially like kind of going into this season? So for me, it was um, really with having the mobile set up. Um, there has not been one time this year that I have not entered the woods with a, a known destination of where I'm going to hang my stand. Like I'm, I'm not usually, you know, since it's properties that I've hunted before, I know exactly where I'm going to or have a rough idea. Um, and I'm going to that specific tree because the wind is at my face the entire way there. And the only time this deer is going to catch my scent is if they followed in behind me, which I'm specifically waiting to go into these spots until the wind is perfect where the deer will never catch my scent. Very cool. Now, also, you were mentioning about how Andre DeQuisto's episode was something that really clicked with you, especially kind of your mindset going into this season, uh, especially recently. Uh, how did his episode impact you, especially kind of what you've done, um, you know, over the last few weeks kind of hunting, you know, this area? Uh, but, you know, what has kind of impacted you from what he had talked about and you were able to start applying, especially with this mobile style of hunting? <laughs> yeah, so there's one point in the podcast and he's, it's something to the effect that he's like, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of good hunters out there, but you know, if you want to be a great hunter, you just got to go the extra mile and you got to just get out there and you got to hunt like a wolf. And, uh, you know, if anybody knows Andre, he probably dropped some F-bombs in the middle of all that <laughs> and, um, <laughs> was just really like, you know, throwing down on the podcast. And I felt like it was like my coach in high school football that's like pumping us up at halftime. Or like Bobby Boucher coming in half time when the Mud Dogs <laughs> won the Bourbon Bowl. <laughs> so oh, I was like, man, I'm going after this deer. I'm going to kill this deer. And, uh, I mean, he almost pumped me up where I was going to cuss. And, you know, pastors can't cuss. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but um, I think really it was just like you're not going to bump the deer off the property. Like get that out of your head. That's such old school thinking. And, um, when I reflected back on every big deer that I've killed on a property, I knew he's there. Like, I know I bumped giant deer time and time again. And I'm like, wait, they never ran away. They were still there the whole time. So this year after hearing him say that, and he's like, man, just go in and get after it. You know, you're not going to do anything to bump that deer off your property. He might move one place or another, but he's still going to be there. So this year I'm like, you know, I took a week off work to go up there and um, what ended up being um, like some really good pre-rut. So the bucks are, bucks are, you know, up on their feet more in the daylight than they usually are. Does, because of the weather, seemed like they weren't coming into heat yet. So um, it was some really good, um, I mean, his episode was titled Mature Bucks Before the Rut. And that's exactly what he talked about in that. So for the guys down south where, you know, certain ruts aren't coming in until December or January, I would definitely encourage you during that pre-rut activity to definitely go back and listen to Andre's podcast because um, no doubt that's what sealed the deal on this buck. So Taylor, I want to talk a little bit more about your mindset. So you kind of listened to what Andre had talked about and it really hit home for you about kind of his style of hunting and kind of his thought process about like not really about – bumping the deer off the property. 
How did that change your mindset going into this season for your week-long trip up there? So, um, for me personally, like I've always been the type of person I'm really driven in everything I do. When I set a goal out, I want to achieve it. And until I reach that point of achieving that goal, I literally can obsess over it. And this deer, I knew that if I didn't kill the number one or number two target buck that we had on camera, somebody was going to Virginia is a big dog hunting state. So I specifically timed my week off to go up there and hunt the, the whole week that's leading up to before that dog season starts um, because I just knew like it was only a matter of time before someone found out those deer were there and they tried to push them through our property. Unfortunately, they do that. And um, before they got an opportunity at them. And so for me, it was just like I have the mindset, but he just really made it click of like, he's your target, go after him and don't let anything stop you. So I've really kind of stayed away from this one area where I ended up having an encounter with the number one buck and ended up killing the number two buck. Um, I've kind of stayed away from this area till like all the conditions were right. And um, it just so happened. I was like, you know what, Monday when I go in, I'm going in and I'm hunting that spot no matter what. And I'm going to kill that deer. And, um, it just so happened the wind was perfect that day. So it's not like I'm just some, you know, wild man rebel going in there and, you know, killing this deer. It is, it ended up being perfect conditions, but it just gave me the mindset to know that like this deer is killable. He's not a ghost. He does exist. He lives somewhere in those woods and you just need to go out and get him. So where was he in those woods? I mean, was he like sticking to some real specific kind of cover? I mean, what, like, how was he avoiding you guys all these years? So, um, where I found, so when I shot him, um, last year and the dogs and myself before the dogs came out, we all tracked him to this one, just, I'm talking ferocious thicket. And when I say ferocious, I went in with briar clothes on the next day, just making sure he wasn't dead. And when I came out of that pine thicket, just ripping through all those briars, my briar proof clothing was ripped. (laughs) and i'm talking i was bloody you know everything's just destroyed but you can tell the deer just going through there i mean you found we found droppings we found scrapes we found rubs i mean it was just a nasty spot but i'm talking it'd be literally impossible to get in there and hunt it like you just you, you i just don't know how you could do it the wind swirls in that pine thicket with all those briars really bad because it sits off down in somewhat of a bottom and then the briars are so thick you know any deer would hear you from a mile away coming you know with it ripping your clothes and stuff so i knew that if i could get as close to that as possible that he was going to be either there or he was going to be back in the middle of the swamp because i know no right sane person in their mind would ever walk out into that swamp so like okay if i put myself between those two areas i'm going to catch him going back to bedding or coming out of bedding at some point during this time so let's break down that morning so you had the mindset you're going to go into this spot no matter what you're going to try to kill this buck so walk us through you know how did you pick the spot in this spot when you went out there what told you like i need to sit on this tree i need to get up in this tree to be able to get this vantage point like what were you looking for what kind of sign was there and uh you know how did you want to set up for him so when um, my friend Robbie and my friends Robbie and Frankie, when they gave me permission to hunt that property, I remember looking at a topography map with Robbie and I say, hey, man, I'm, I've been watching the hunting public guys and they put these tutorials out there on topography on their YouTube page. And I said, um, as I'm looking at your property, you know, I think they have a total of. I don't know, 250 to 400 acres on one side of the highway and another four or 500 on another. And I said, but out of all of this acreage, I said, this spot right here from what I think I know um, is probably one of the best spots on your property. Have you ever hunted there? And he said, yeah, man, as a kid, um, we would hunt that spot. And every time I hunted that spot, I saw just monster deer. And he said the biggest buck he's ever seen in his life he was actually like old school hunting when he was a kid and like climbed up a tree, no stand, you know, just holding on to the tree like 20 feet up. And he said the wind was blowing so bad that day that he had to let a monster buck walk by because he couldn't let go of the tree because he'd fall out of it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, that spot was come to find out that's where I shot the deer last year and he didn't, you know, the muzzle loader malfunction. And then this year I was like, that's the spot. It has all the ingredients. Um, but little did I know. So my mindset going into that morning is like, I'm going to that spot. I know how I'm going to get there with the wind in my face. I'm going to stay around the bedding areas. You know, I'm going to go in. Um, it's a two-mile hike because of the direction you have to go um, to get back there. And, you know, there's no riding four-wheelers or anything like that. you got to hike it. So um, I actually woke up at 3 o'clock that morning. Whoa, 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 um, whoa, whoa. Wait, I got to stop you right here. What was this <laughs> spot like? Like, what, why was it so good? Like, was it a saddle? Was it a thermal hub? Was it thick? I mean, what's, what's the story so, on it? <laughs> so it's where the big woods, uh, the big woods fall off down into the swamp and the pine thicket falls off down into the swamp. So it's a pinch point with the wind blowing the right direction. It blows your, blows your scent right up to the top of the ridge. Thermals pull everything and it just sucks it out of that bottom swirling area um, so it's only really a good morning hunt because otherwise your scent just gets down in that bottom and just swirls like crazy soaking into that swamp water. So it is like the ideal, most perfect spot you could ever hunt on any property because it's where all the different habitats come together and you know, your scent's going to be escaping up the ridge where the deer most likely are not going to come from. So you got edges, you got diversity, and then you've got that whole swirling effect where where a buck would want to be, and it and it's thick, right? I mean, like what kind yes. of thicket is it? So um, I wouldn't consider it necessarily a thicket um, where I'm specifically hunting. I'm I'm about twenty to uh, I'd say probably fifty yards from the pine thicket, and then on the edge of the swamp, about 20 yards off the swamp where I'm just right on the side of this ridge, about half of the way down, because otherwise it is too thick to where you couldn't get a shot, you know, past 30 or 40 yards at the most, but it's not so thick where you can only see like five or 10 yards in front of you. And then what was unique about that this year, they actually uh, came into those big woods and cut over like as a cut over. So they, they just cut everything so unfortunately for me with that number one, you know, target buck, the 180 inch, because of the cutover, when I came up over my trail thinking that I had a clear path to where I was going, I came across in the middle of the dark with a green headlamp where I couldn't see but 10 feet in front of me at, you know, 3.30 in the morning. Um, all I have is trees stacked in front of me. And I'm like, man, I have no idea where I'm at right now. And I walked to the left because I could see that they had cleared everything to the right. And when I walked, I got pretty close to that pine thicket. And then I walked actually down the buck trail and across the dude's scrapes, not knowing what I was doing in the middle of the dark until it was too late. So I'm like, well, I've already walked two miles back. It's three 30 in the morning. Maybe my scent will dissipate a little bit. Cause I, you know, I do everything under the sun for scent control. Um, that I possibly can, I was like, maybe I'll be good. So climbed up in the tree and, uh, started the hunt that morning. So you, the set, this first of all, the spot sounds amazing. I mean, just talking about the diversity, the habitat, everything else is there. It sounds fantastic. So you get up for that morning, it's a two mile hike in, which is pretty legit on, on a piece of private land to be able to get in that deep, uh, on a piece of private. Um, so you're able to get into the spot, you climb up your tree, kind of setting up on this area that you have a bunch of kind of edges coming together. And this is a muzzleloader hunt. Uh, cor correct. This is a muzzleloader hunt. I think we talked about yep. Okay. That's correct. So uh, kind of walk us through, because the, the story sounds pretty crazy, and this is where I kind of want to get into the actual story of that hunt and kind of what took place that day. Yeah, so um, I get out there. My um, my lucky number is three, so my goal was to, to be at the tree by 3.33 that morning, which um, to most people that is the most insane thing in the world. Uh, to me, I knew that if I didn't get in there earlier, I had – Early, I had the chance of spooking a lot of deer, um, potentially out of that swamp bottom, letting the big buck know I'm there. So, like, I'm going in early because it's my only option because I had hunted it, you know, an hour before daylight, gotten up in the tree before and spooked deer out and just ruined the whole day. So, I knew early was the only option. I get to the tree, 3.33, right at my goal time, and I'm like, today's the day I'm killing this deer. 
and I hang my stand up the tree and uh, get settled in and um, winds perfect. Uh, and, you know, I'm letting milkweed go and doing my scent checks and everything's going right up the ridge. And just because of how they had cut the cut over and they had just, you know, trashed trees down that hillside, actually the trees created a barrier. So there was absolutely no way, even if a deer came off that ridge, they could catch my scent whatsoever. So it really provided me a nice uh, barrier if a deer did try to come off the top of that cutover. And um, that morning, as the sun came up and I got everything ready to go, um, I what I was doing is every 20 minutes, every 20, 25 minutes, I would um, rotate every 20 to 25 minutes between a, um, a doe bleat with a tendon grunt behind it and then the, the other rotation, I would do a rattling sequence that Tim Knott talked about. And I, um, I had been doing that rotation. You know, I had probably been, you know, if I started at, I don't even know what time sunlight was, 6 o'clock or something. Um, I didn't see anything up until um, 9 o'clock. I think, yeah, until 9 o'clock. And um, I actually... Um, was standing there, falling in the breast pocket. It vibrates. I see it's my wife. She's like, hey, Venmo me some money for this. I'm like, dang. I was like, I'm hunting. Leave me alone. So, of course, of course, I don't ignore her. I start Venmoing her money, and I have no cell phone service down in that bottom. So I'm like trying to hold my phone up and get cell phone service to see if the Venmo will go through. And I, I extended my arm up. And I look down, and in an opening like 40 yards away, I see the number one target buck. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I slam my phone in my pocket. I grab my muzzleloader off the tree. And as soon as I start to aim and get settled in for my breath, he steps behind a bunch of a bunch of thick holly trees. And he works, scrape number one. And this is probably about 15 minutes after I did uh, the rattling sequence with the, the antlers down the tree on a string rustling around in the leaves, uh, making it really sound like some, some young bucks are, you know, are sparring a little bit, but nothing too intense. So, you know, he's coming in, you can tell he's swole up, he's, he's hitting these scrapes. You know, I can hear his hoof pounding the ground as he's scraping it. He goes to the second scrape, he pounds it. And he goes to the third scrape and he only does like one scrape back. And I saw his head go up in the air and I'm like, Oh no, that's right where I walked in this morning. And when I say it's the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, it looked like tumbleweed was on his head. His antlers were so large <laughs> coming through the trees. And I'm like, this is a deer of a lifetime. And I'm just like, I remember him being behind the holly tree before he caught my scent and just like, thank you God for this opportunity to see such a beautiful animal in the woods within 30 yards of me. And I'm like, thank you God for letting him step into this opening five steps away where I can kill him. And then about that time he caught my scent and I'm like, Oh no. And he, you know, he did the whole curl back with his head and then his whole body whipped around and he kind of bounded a couple of times and he paused for a split second, and I had about a six-inch, probably a softball-size hole to shoot through right at the heart. And I just couldn't bring myself to take it. And then he went off, and he curled back around. And instead of going into the bedding area, the thick pines of where he came from, he actually went out into the middle of the swamp. And I thought it was really strange. I saw him go out into the swamp. He puts his head down. He gets a drink of water. And, of course, it's too thick for me to shoot. But he, I'm looking through the binoculars. He puts his head down, gets some water, and then he bounds off into the swamp. And he gets about 30 yards out there, and he starts blowing. So I'm like, well, this is so strange. Why would he blow way out there? My scent has never went out there. You know, it was just, it was just really strange behavior. And But he blew as he bounded across the whole swamp. So, you know, Andre de Quisto's like, man, if you're going to go after, if you're going to be a great hunter, not just a good hunter, you got to hunt like a wolf and you got to go after that blankety blank deer. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going after this deer, you know? So I pull out my Onyx app and I marked every location across the swamp that I thought he had, where he had blown. He, he blew five times. So I dropped five markers across the swamp 
And then I could see the tree line across. I'm like, oh, this won't be bad. It's 70 degrees today. Of course, y'all know deer don't move when it's 70 degrees. So don't go hunting when it's 70 degrees. That's a waste (laughs) of your time. Um, But I'm like, I'm going out in this swamp. So I take about 10 steps out into this swamp and I've just got mug boots on. And um, so I'm not in waders or anything like that. And about the 10th step, um, the water went right up to the edge of my muck boots. And I'm like, well, this is a bad idea. So um, let me back up a little bit. I, I took my stand off the tree, got my steps, and I've got the stand on my back. And, you know, all my gear that was up in the tree, I've got it on my back because I didn't know if I'd get out in the middle of the swamp and then find a good spot where he beds and then get a tree and just wait for him to come back in to, to bed down in that swamp. <clears throat> so everything's on my back. I get out there, the water goes up to my muck boots and I'm like, well, dang. So I backed back out and I got the biggest limb that I could find. And I'm like poking out in front of me to, to make sure that the water doesn't go above my muck boots thinking that, you know, out in the swamp that I can possibly make it all the way across the swamp without that happening. And I remember, you know, it was about 20, 25 yards in, I poked out in front of me. I'm like, oh, that's a good spot to step. I stepped and I went all the way up to my thigh. And I'm like, oh, well, my boot's completely filled with water now. And I'm like, well, I'm in it now. And I was like, I'm in it to win it. So I'm like, I'm going to stay committed to the process. And I went about another 30, 40 yards, and I came across a creek that was about 10 feet deep. And I was like, I've literally got to swim across this. This is ridiculous. And I'm like, what kind of idiot gets out in the middle of a swamp going after a deer um, and then swims across the creek? I'm like, no one. And then I look over to my left, and I see a, a tree that has fallen across the swamp or across, across the creek. And I'm like, I bet I can scale across that log and get to the other side of this creek. So I go out there and I make my way across. I get about three quarters across this log and I realize it's dead at the end. And if I step on it, I'm just going to fall into the water. So I got a couple of steps and then I just jumped. And, you know, like you dig in when you're trying not to fall. You dig in even like with your fingernails and you're trying to hold yourself up. (laughs) And then I kind of like crawled across the ground and got myself up out of the edge of the creek. And then I got a little bit deeper into the swamp and I, I pulled out my onyx to make sure I was kind of on that path that he took. And I was like, man, I'm on this path, but I can't tell where in the world this deer would go. Like, there's no way his antlers, I mean, I'm sure y'all seen it where, you know, you see something that's just so thick. You're like, there's no way a deer with any kind of antler size could get through this. Well, I saw one spot and I'm like, well, if that's the, if, if he could get through anywhere, it's potentially that spot. And it was, you know, just briars over the top of a log. And there was one little small hole that I could barely fit through. And I, when I went up to that log, there was just deer hair all over it where they had came across it. And so I went across it, splashed in the water on the other side. And, you know, by this time I've had water up to almost my chest a few times pretty consistently walking through it up to my thighs. I'm pouring with sweat. I had even taken off my shirt, so I'm completely shirtless, and I'm just trudging through this swamp. And I realized that I'm about in the middle of it, and I climbed up on this log up out of the water, and I'm like, man, if this deer's anywhere, he's got to be close. So I look over, and there's this one little island just big enough for a deer body to sit on And it has saplings that are just tore to shreds around it. And I'm like, that is the coolest buck bedding area I've ever seen in my life. And I still regret not taking a picture of it, but I was scared I would drop my phone in the swamp. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm going to climb up on this log. Hopefully he's somewhere close to this bed that I'm right here beside. I'm going to climb up on this log and I'm going to hit the grunt tube just a few times, kind of like a tendon grunt, because if he's anywhere near, he's definitely heard me splashing in the water. But the wind was to my face, so I'm like, I'm good still. And um, I hit that I hit that grunt tube three times, just right back to back, and I heard the biggest splash that I've ever heard in my life come, in, come and hit in the swamp. And I'm like, at first, I was like, oh, man, I just busted him out of here those splashes were running away. Well, what they were doing is he was running 
um, I found out later he was running sideways into the swamp to hit an opening in the swamp to come towards me. So I'm like, Oh my word, that's getting really close. So I had a, I had a scope and rifle cover, you know, I had a scope and barrel cover over my muzzle loader. So I'm ripping it off and just throwing it wherever I can throw it. And I, I squatted down on that log that I was standing up on. Um, I squatted down like a, like an Afghan guy wearing a man dress <laughs> and, um, I, uh, it's, it's really funny to military guys that are out there. Cause that's how they'll just like stand resting. Um, so I'm sitting, I'm sitting on this log or like standing on this log, like an Afghani and I'm, I'm hearing this, this deer just like sploosh, I mean, splash, I mean, just go crazy. I mean, I'm like, Oh my word, this is not happening right now. And right before he gets to me, I realize it's not the number one target bug, but it's number two. It's the big 10 point that we've been after. And he's like coming in. I mean, he's ready to fight me. And he comes in broadside 10 yards away. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's that 10 point. Well, I go to pull the trigger. And I forgot with my new muzzleloader, it, it has a hammer pullback and it has a safety where my old muzzleloader, muzzleloader was just a hammer pullback. So I'm like, I'm trying to pull the trigger. I'm like, oh, is it, what's wrong? You know, I'm freaking out. And then I, I realized, oh, it's got the safety on it. And I clicked the safety and he, he went to start moving and I, and he stopped and I shot him. And when I shot him, um, the recoil of the gun was so strong with me sitting, you know, like a little Afghan man on the log that it literally somersaulted me back like I was scuba diving and like going off the boat, the side of the boat you know, like backwards with my tank on my back because <laughs> I got my stand on the back and I literally fall back into the water and I'm like, well, this is how they're going to find me. They're going to find a buck, you know, however many yards away dead and they're going to find Taylor here dead <laughs> in the swamp. And I was like, this is going to be my lasting legacy. I killed a monster buck doing the favorite, you know, my most favorite thing in the world aside from my wife and kids. Um, out in the middle of a swamp, I'm going to die. This is how I'm, I'm going to drown because I can't get this pack off of me. I'm underwater. And then finally I got loose, of course, because I'm here talking to you today. And uh, climbed back up on the log, pulled my pack up out of the water. And I'm like, there's no way I could have missed that deer. So I call my buddy and I'm like, hey, Robbie, um, I think I just shot that big 10 point. Uh, he's like, do you think you hit him? You think you hit him? And I'm like, man, if I didn't hit that deer, I just need to quit hunting because he was 10 yards away. And so I start trudging. He's like, all right, I'll start heading your way. So I start trudging through the swamp. And of course, I see nothing. And I'm like, there is no way I miss this deer. And I'm like, well, he had to run. I knew as I was falling back in the water, I saw him turn around and take off running the direction he came from. So like, I'll just start walking this way. Well, I'm still not seeing anything, still not seeing anything. And then about that time, I look up and no lie, four or five, six feet up the tree, there's just blood, like just thrown up the tree. And then I realized that every time he bounded up out of the water, because I shot him right through the heart, I guess that artery was pumping and it was just spraying blood all over the trees as he bounded up out of the water. Well, then it just disappeared. I'm like, I can't find this deer anywhere. And lo and behold, he had hit a spot that was actually pretty deep, and he was just barely just floating on top of the water. And I'll share a picture with you guys. Um, but it was really cool. He barreled into a bunch of trees, and those trees just kind of pressed him down into the water. The sun was in my face. So I couldn't see him, but I was probably 10 feet away from him, and I realized, like, I had got him. And obviously ecstatic, pumped, out of breath, soaking wet muddy um but an absolute epic hunt that is it's not it's not even close that is the most epic deer story i think i've ever heard in my whole life that's crazy dude <laughs> what what was your reaction like when you actually like got up to him and you saw him dead there um so to be quite honest like this year 2020 has been a pretty challenging year for me and my wife um we have three children um, here on earth with us and we actually lost two children this year and so that being challenging my grandfather passed away who you know pretty much raised me so in that moment I just remember praying to God like 
Lord, at least let it be a good deer season. Like 2020 has sucked, but let's let it at least be a good deer season. And I just really just overwhelmed with gratefulness and thanksgiving that God would allow that opportunity to happen, but also like in such an awesome way and uh, super ecstatic. It's like, I didn't even want to touch the deer because it was just such a cool, like ending to a fairy tale story. I'm like, man, just like, this is so awesome for this deer's life um, to end in such epic fashion because I've hunted this deer and I almost killed him last year and now I finally killed him. I'm like, but it's kind of sad at the same time because the story's over and I don't get to pursue him anymore. But um, yeah, it was sick. Well, like the experience, I think is everything. And, <clears throat> and what you put in to kill that deer, I mean, is just short of amazing. Um, just of, you know, the, the fortitude to be able to go in and have the, the not just the confidence, but um, to have the mindset to go in and, you know, get into the swamp find the area that possibly could be holding, you know, the, the big, the, the, uh, target one buck and trying to make something happen, and, which is amazing. Cause I think a lot of guys in that situation probably would have given up pretty early on once that deer ran into the swamp and you decided to go after him and, you know, actually called in, you know, one of the other bucks, you know, your, your target, um, your second target buck in the area, which is amazing. And one thing I was, I wanted to ask you is, you know, kind of in that area where you actually set up on the log uh, when he came in, how deep was the water right there? I mean, when he's, when he was coming in, I mean, was there water like up on the side of the deer? So it was, um, probably with him standing up. I just so happened to, to be where that log was laying across that behind that log, it had just collected and it was like just a little pocket of water i assume because the deer had been bounding over it and just wore it out over time but overall in the swamp it was probably like only ankle deep and then where he ended up running to is where he kind of just dove and plummeted into about two or three feet of water okay wow yeah well that's amazing and again kind of going in and calling um is is pretty fascinating i think i'm going to share this episode actually with andre um because he, uh, he'll listen to some of the episodes when certain ones come out that he tunes into, and I think this would be an interesting one for him to listen to and kind of get perspective of kind of his mindset of kind of going in surgically removing a deer uh, from the herd, as he talks about all the time, but going in with the, uh, the tenacity uh, to, you know, hunt down the your target buck. And that's exactly kind of what you did, which is, you know, just awesome, dude. Um, and, and Taylor, I, I know we're running a little long here, but, again, it's been a, a great story and great kind of um, – listen to kind of hear you kind of talk through kind of what's happened to you over the last couple of years, uh, kind of listen to the show and applying stuff. But, you know, what was like one of the biggest, um, what was one of the biggest things that you got out of this whole experience that you're like, okay, this opened my eyes to, you know, maybe things I need to be doing in the future, uh, you know, ways to hunt, uh, and maybe give you more confidence in going in and, and you know, maybe being a little bit more aggressive than maybe what you've thought about in the past. Yeah, so um, I think it gave me the confidence definitely in, you know, all these podcasts I've listened to and taken notes. I think maybe I had only applied just because of lack of intentionality and just kind of going going into the woods and habitually doing what I've always done, which obviously had not produced, but one, what I would consider just monster buck. And I wanted to, you know, my goal is that I get at least one monster buck per season moving forward. And maybe that'll increase to two one day. I don't know. It's Alabama. They're few and far between. So, um, but I think for me this season and, and this specific hunt, I, I, I listened to, to all these podcasts, but I actually applied what I was hearing. Like I took the best from each podcast and I just wrote it all down from the notes I've collected over the years or over the year and a half that I've listened. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So, um, really visualize and make a plan to kill that deer from, you know, even preseason planning, everything that I was doing was planning to kill that number one target buck or either this number two target buck and visualizing and making a plan to make that happen which means spending time when nobody else wants to spend time in the dead heat of summer, um, shooting my bow or shooting my muzzleloader or shooting my rifle and just making sure I'm prepared to take that shot with calm nerves too, 
actually visualizing when I take that shot that I'm not worked up, I'm calm, and I'm there to execute what I've planned. Hunting the wind, rattling in the right time of the year at the right time of day, um, using natural obstacles, you know, to my advantage. So the trees being fallen on that cutover allowed my scent to, you know, go somewhere where the deer would never find it or never smell it, which isn't always something that you can do. But, and then two, like knowing that mobile hunting is like the only way I'll ever hunt again. I'll never sit still. I'll never, you know, just <laughs> if I shoot in a, if I sit in a shooting house from now between that time I die, it'll be because I'm with my wife or kids trying to get them a deer. <laughs> um, and, uh, I don't even know who has a shooting house. I don't even hunt that way anymore. But, um, and then, you know, targeting a specific deer and stop listening to all the myths that you've heard over the years. If you're going to bump them out or, you know, that deer only exists at nighttime. He, he doesn't live during the day. And I'm like, well, dang, I live during the day. He's got to live during the day. He's got to be somewhere. And then, um, I'm, I've really focused on mastering getting into bow range of younger deer to really learn their behavior, how they check wind, what they do when wind is swirling, what they do when wind is doing this. Um, that way, when it comes to the bigger deer, you know, I'm learning from those younger deer. And then ultimately at the end of it is learning from my mistakes. So I went out and I've applied this stuff and kind of had an idea of what I was doing, but really taking and, and applying it and then realizing, oh, I, I, I didn't do it that way. I didn't do it this way. And really learning from your mistakes, um, which ultimately is a good life lesson. Everybody's going to make mistakes. Everybody's going to do something dumb. But the ones who really have the success and go from good to great are the ones who can learn from their mistakes and move forward from it. Yeah, excellent point, Taylor. And uh, just as kind of a, uh, a recap also just about your target one buck, that chapter also got closed this year as well. Uh, a little unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. but I guess you can at least kind of talk about that so people actually uh, truly understand how truly big that deer was. Yeah, so um, that number one target buck, and so I, I appreciate the salt there in the wind there, Jacob. Um, but <laughs> number one buck, um, when I say it's the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, my friend Robbie was like, you think he was that big? I'm like, dude, he was that big. So to paint a picture, his antlers are like a mainframe eight with all these kickers going everywhere off of it. And then he has two foot long, I'm not exaggerating, at least a foot long on each side drop tines. They're so big and so thick that they literally had rotted at the tips where that blood flow had just pulled while he was in velvet. And it just is like rotted ends. It's really strange. But um, I was like, that's 180 inch deer all day long. And then um, as my week ended and killing my 10 point and, you know, my friends Robbie and Frankie continue to hunt this deer. Um, little did we know the neighbor who, you know, rarely hunts, if ever, um, had that deer on camera and had went and done something with his wife and kids that morning. From what I understand is the story, um, went back and got in a ladder stand midday before he had family photos that afternoon, was just going to hunt for a couple of hours, uh, gets up in the ladder stand, sits there 10 minutes, is on the phone with his wife and the deer pops out and he drops him. <laughs> and that's how the deer's life ends. <laughs> so, like, I've been killing myself for three seasons. Robbie's been killing himself. Frankie's been killing himself. We've been, you know, doing everything we can. And this guy kills the deer in the middle of a day on a green field after 10 minutes in the ladder stand. Um, his name is Patrick O'Beer, I think is how you say his last name. Um, but that deer, um, super happy for him. You know, congratulations to him. I know it, uh, it was obviously God's will for him to get that buck. <laughs> but, uh, it uh it scored 186 so it was a, a stud of a deer yeah that, that's a giant that's that's ridiculous and especially kind of having closure like that but um taylor that that was a, a really cool kind of perspective of kind of just how you've applied certain things over this last year and a half uh and went out there and have some success uh just being really aggressive um which is something really interesting i know andre talks about that all the time uh, which is something I think more of us probably ought to pay attention to, especially kind of getting out of the myths, which I'm guilty of, you know, still even thinking about where, you know, you bump a deer out and he's, he, you know, he's gone forever. And that's just not the case. You know, a deer doesn't get, you know, to five, six, seven years old, uh, mature buck by just running at the first 
you know, sign of danger and, and leaving his home range. There's a reason why he's in the area, uh, just because of the thick cover habitat, food, and, you know, also does. So, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for every time he gets bumped to totally leave that area. Um, so that's, that's awesome. And Taylor, just maybe as a little uh, kind of lasting piece of advice, we've had a lot of new listeners uh, tune into the show over the last six months. Um, so I'm sure there's a b- bunch of new listeners listening to your episode right now of us, kind of what we're talking about. You know, if you listening for just now a year and a half now, and there's so many different episodes that's come out, you know, you started listening at episode 116. I lost count what episode this is going to be, uh, over 200. Um, there's a lot of episodes with a lot of different guys that talk about a lot of different tactics. How, what, piece of advice would you tell the guys listening to now of how they need to kind of piece apart what might would work for them instead of getting maybe overwhelmed with just the amount of knowledge that's just shared on the show yeah absolutely it can definitely uh be completely overwhelming and i found myself you know in that spot when i first started listening to the show i mean just the one episode the first episode i listened to glenn solomon i'm like my brain was like fried I'm like, what in the world did I just hear? But I think really just listen to one episode at a time. Don't try to just power through a bunch of different episodes because you're never going to retain any of it. But take some notes as you're listening to it and take those notes and look at them the the night before you go hunting or the you know, the, the time before you go in the woods and just remember the highlights of those notes, the things that really stuck out to you. And that could just, you know, everybody's somewhere. If you're on a scale of one to 10 or, you know, uh, a one to Andre DeQuisco or Cody DeQuisco or some of these guys that are just killing monster bucks year after year, sometimes multiple in a season, um, everybody had to start out at a one. And the goal isn't to go from one to 10. Really, it's impossible. You can't do it. And, um, but my goal is just to get, you know, a percentage better each year. You know, if I get 10% better each season, then, you know, by the time I'm Andre's age, then I might be killing deer on a regular basis like he does. But for now, you know, just take the, take notes, but actually apply those notes little by little. And then as you're in the field, as you're out there hunting, realize that you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. But learn from those mistakes when you're applying these things. And just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you throw that idea out the window. It means you tweak that idea to make it work for you and your situation. And there's obviously always going to be variables where you can't apply all of the stuff you learn to, to your specific land you're hunting or terrain or woods or the deer you're hunting but you can take all these little nuggets and and piece the puzzle together that's what a lot of these big buck hunters have said is you're always piecing the puzzle together to figure out where is that buck's bedroom and if you just take the time and just add up these little things and apply them you'll eventually get that buck you want well fantastic taylor man we appreciate you coming on for this week's episode of the listener success story um anyone out there that's listening to the episode please go out there and and, you know maybe try to apply some of the things that taylor's kind of talked about today uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, one thing I'm, I'm actually really hoping for is uh, for a listener to have success from one of these listener success stories, uh, which I think would just be awesome. Um, but if you're out there and you're listening to the show and you've had success using tactics from the show, from different episodes, from different guests, uh, please let us know. Shoot us a message, uh, kind of like Taylor did, um, just about, you know, what's kind of worked for you, you know, pictures of some of the deer, and maybe we can uh, pick you out and uh, put you on the show as well. But Taylor, man, uh, again, congratulations on a awesome buck and uh, best of luck to you for the rest of the season absolutely thank you so much you you and andrew thank you so much for having me thanks for what you're doing keep up the good work and everybody listen don't forget to subscribe to their podcast like their pages if you feel so inclined to do so bless them on what is it called patreon yeah patreon yes sir patreon go go bless these guys they're putting in a lot of hard work for us and uh, i pray that god continues to bless y'all Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern.
Hey everybody, this is Kyle Veet, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.